autonomous vehicles, autonomous transportation. That's our topic today on CXO Talk. Evangelo Samudis is one of the world's experts on this topic. His new book is called Transportation Transformation. Evangelos, tell us about your background briefly and about your relationship to autonomous mobility. For the past 20 years, I've been a venture investor. Uh, the last four of those, my uh, firm Synapse Partners is investing in companies, in early stage companies that develop uh, enterprise software AI applications. Uh, we see mobility as an important uh, area to uh, to focus. So a number of our investments uh, are in mobility, but not exclusively. I started writing, and the writing went from from blogs to books, uh, including the most recent uh, effort that I launched last uh, last week uh, with the book uh, Transformation tra- Transportation Transformation. When you talk about autonomous mobility, what are you referring to? I'm referring to the transportation of both uh, uh, passengers, but also the delivery of goods using a variety of autonomous vehicles. It may be um, speed of traffic vehicles, like the so-called robotaxis that we're seeing from companies like Waymo or or Cruise. It may be uh, slower moving uh, vehicle shuttles, like uh, what we're seeing from companies like May Mobility, or it may also be uh, various forms of robots that deliver goods, such as the uh, robots of Neuro um, that is delivering uh, groceries uh, or uh, those from Starship Technology. So they can be, uh, those are vehicles that can operate either on sidewalks or on the on the street. And what is the underlying set of factors that's going to drive this? And in a way, your your book is painting a vision of the future, but it's also very, very much grounded in the realities of what's going on today from a technology standpoint, from economics and so forth. Over the past few years, um, we have seen the uh, very strong emergence of uh, on-demand mobility services. Um, and those services have been embraced by uh, large groups of people, particularly in urban uh, areas. Uh, they have created, of course, other, other problems. We have also seen a lot of efforts by many automakers, mobility services, com- and mobility services companies, and startups to uh, develop autonomous, autonomous vehicles that will be used for this type of, uh, of applications. And finally, uh, we're starting to see um, cities instrumenting themselves in order to be able to accommodate this this future of mobility. And um, so far, these efforts have been very siloed. And the the future that I am uh, both envisioning and advocating for uh, requ- will require for these efforts to start being integrated uh, a lot more than they are today if we are to address some of the mega trends that uh, uh, we're starting are starting to, to plague us. When you talk about these mega trends, what do you have in mind? What are the mega trends that are relevant to this? The book is very much about urban mobility as opposed to mobility as a whole. Um, 
First and foremost, as we look at cities, we look at congestion and, and pollution um, in, in many cities. If you think of cities like Mumbai, uh, Rio de Janeiro, uh, Sao Paulo, uh, Istanbul, uh, those, those cities have tremendous uh, traffic problems because of congestion. I mean, the average congestion in a city like Sao Paulo is one and a half hours each way. So about three hours a day you spend on, uh, on the road, just commuting to and from work. Um, the uh, climate change is also a big mega trend that, uh, that needs to be addressed again uh, in the context of urban transportation. And um, you're, you're seeing already today many uh, governments and uh, in starting to impose uh, more restrictions on the type of vehicles that they will allow on the road and, and OEMs, automakers are, are starting to, to work on that. And finally, in, in many places you have, uh, in many countries, you have aging populations and, and these populations, and Japan is a very good example that's often cited, these populations will need uh, a lot more help with their mobility uh, than we are able to provide today through mere public transportation. What are the pieces that need to be put into place in order for this future to be realized? The efforts that we are seeing are well-intentioned, but because they're siloed, they're starting to produce the um, in, a, in many respects today, uh, the opposite results of what they intended to do. So uh, first, there has to be a, a realization that these, um, uh, these companies need to start coming together uh, and collaborating uh, in, a, in, a meaningful, uh, in a meaningful way. The, uh, the second thing is that um, cities need to take the lead in, in this uh, in this effort and in taking the in taking the lead they will need to some of the their efforts will need to deal with instrumenting uh, the their infrastructure as opposed to just expanding their transportation infrastructure as it was the case especially here in the US um, and the uh, and I think we need to in a sense balance technology, with the uh, with some of the other issues that uh, uh, need to be addressed, such as uh, regulation and policy and data rights and, and the like. Why do cities need to lead the way? Why is it the why does the burden fall upon cities? I chose urban transportation because to me, um, cities are are an important an important space. First of all, it is a small enough space where we can we can start controlling and, and making changes in. Um, it, uh, it, they, they represent a, a magnet for the population. I mean, there are many studies uh, from world bodies that indicate that uh, this uh, move to, uh, this urbanization move will continue. And um, finally, this is where automakers and mobility services companies come together in order to serve uh, the public. Now, I should also say that when I talk about cities, I don't mean a city in a, in a very restrictive manner. I, I talk about more about metropolitan areas. So here in San Francisco, for example, um, we have the city of San Francisco, but we have the metropolitan uh, area, Bay Area. Um, same thing goes in Los Angeles, same thing goes to, as I said, many, many world cities. So um, 
when when we think about urban transportation, I'm I'm uh, implying the the systems and processes and operations that need to be put in place in these broader metropolitan areas as opposed to just a, a specific city. What are the challenges that cities will face as they try to implement these systems? So in the book, I paint three scenarios uh, for how this can, can emerge. And obviously, we are um, uh, we're dealing in the, in the short term, we're also dealing with uh, the aftermath of the pandemic. Um, but uh, the, the, the cities will, will need to uh, understand um, what type of role what type of role they want to play uh, going forward. So in, in the United States, um, where the public transportation systems are not particularly good and we have a much more of a privately uh, owned, uh, pr- private vehicle ownership uh, culture, um, the this future of transportation may evolve in a way that um, Cities will will have to co- uh, will have to coexist, or the public transportation and other systems will need to coexist with privately owned vehicles. On the on the middle case, I see Europe, uh, where we have uh, very strong support for public transportation, um, but uh, because of its nature, it it has regardless of how much uh, funding uh, a lot of times cities provide to their public transportation systems. This um, schedule rides provide gaps and inconvenience for the for the public. And then uh, on the on the final uh, scenario, I see uh, many cities in Asia that have taken, starting with Singapore and, and ser- several cities in China, that I think have taken a very strong uh, position on transforming their their systems and establishing partnerships with uh, mobility services providers in order to provide uh, a more seamless experience that uh, offers uh, mobility as a service. We have a question from Twitter. Arsalan Khan is asking, it's obvious that collaboration among cities is going to be essential to this. Is there a central place that cities can collaborate and how, do, how should cities go, go about that ecosystem, creating that ecosystem aspect? First of all, I should clarify that I'm not necessarily advocating that all of the cities need to collaborate together, but within a metropolitan area, uh, again, if, if you were to think of the, the Bay Area as, a, as an example, particularly here in the United States, um, there are hundred over 140 agencies that deal with uh, transportation uh, issues, and this reality makes it extremely difficult to try to achieve uh, the the type of uh, future that uh, I describe in the in the book. So the first thing that needs to be simplified is the juri- the jurisdictional structure of uh, of cities to make it. To, to appoint, you know, a single a single body, a single person responsible, single organization responsible for bringing all of this uh, together. Uh, the second is uh, areas of of competence. You know, cities will need to acquire uh, certain competencies, particularly around 
running specific platforms um, and uh, being more flexible with regards to how their public transportation systems are enhanced uh, through the addition of this type of uh, mobility services that we are uh, describing. And there's a lot of know-how, I believe, that uh, cities can uh, obtain from the from the industry, and that's why I've been talking a lot about uh, public-private collaboration. So I'll give you actually a, a recent example. So a couple of days ago, uh, Uber announced that they will be licensing their um, uh, their uh, software platform to the city of Marin, just north of San Francisco, to enable it to better manage how public transportation and mobility services offered by Uber in this case uh, will, will be uh, interwoven uh, better together. Uh, we've seen examples, uh, very successful examples in Helsinki. Um, we're seeing uh, very good efforts in uh, Berlin. Uh, I will actually put Berlin like in, as one of the top cities on, on how they're uh, starting to approach and implement mobility as a service. How's it going so far? The first results have been quite encouraging in terms of how people are starting to, to use this type of applications. Um, and, uh, but it's not only an, an issue of using a, a mobile application. A lot of the efforts, initial efforts, particularly by startups, have been to provide an application that is informational. Uh, then these applications were augmented with payment platforms. So not only you get information, but you can also have a, a common place where you can buy tickets or reserve um, reserve uh, rides. I think the, the next step and, and really where all of this is, will come together nicely is um, when, when, when cities are starting to play more the role of the orchestrator, right? And, and you're able to pre-plan how your mobility options are going to be paired with the um, the daily needs that you have, whether it is commuting to and from work and dropping off the kids at school or dealing with your daily meetings and having to move from place to place in order to uh, to address them. Um, and I think we need to to start thinking much more about how this advanced planning um, has to has to be utilized uh, more successfully and and then added to is the, the more opportunistic transportation that we have. So I have an, an emergency meeting somewhere I was not planned so now I can I can go and um, uh, have a transaction to, to pick up a, a transportation means to get me to get me to my destination. But I think the this orchestration, which um, will will start happening and needs to start happening more and more will give us the the, the right uh, mobility as a service model. Given the challenges of uh, achieving this vision that you're describing, what should the various players start doing now? Three basic players that I see here are the automakers and their their ecosystem, uh, the uh, mobility services companies, and and the uh, the cities, the metropolitan areas. So, 
we are seeing already different approaches. So we have some automakers taking a very uh, technology-centric approach. Um, we have um, we have others that are starting to experiment with uh, different models of providing both vehicles and services. So GM is a good example. Uh, Daimler, uh, Mercedes is another uh, good example. Um, Toyota in Asia is, uh, is another good example. Um, in the case of mobility services, um, we're, we're starting also to see uh, much more interest in expanding the, the type of business models that uh, they will that, that are willing to consider, you know, uh, adding to their transactional models that have been primarily used today, um, and also making uh, technology investments that will start transforming them from ride coordinators to um, uh, mobility providers okay, that are using fleets. And then finally, in the cities, as I mentioned before, um, particularly outside the U.S., more so than within the U.S., um, we are seeing very active efforts to, to embrace mobility as a service and, and start offering, to their, offering it to their citizens. Uh, here in the United States, I would say uh, New York is doing a lot of work. Los Angeles is doing a lot of work. But by and large, uh, we are lacking. I mean, there's so much ground to cover on the public transportation side that uh, there's a lot more emphasis that needs to be to be put there. Where does public transportation fit into this picture? Well, public transportation it will be one of the components of this picture. I think um, uh, the pandemic actually has brought us some very interesting examples, whereas the ridership has fallen. Um, and obviously, the corresponding revenue is, uh, from the cities has decreased. Um, cities have started to reevaluate uh, what, uh, what they should be offering through public transportation. In other words, what routes they should support through their own fleet uh, and, and modalities, you know, where, because public transportation is, is also subways and, and light rail and buses and the like. And, and where they should start partnering with mobility services companies in order to supplement the, the shortcomings of the, um, of the public transportation system, but also achieve better economics. So uh, I think that um, this is going to, to start a, a dialogue, which my hope is that as, as these entities, these constituencies start transforming, uh, this dialogue will intensify and uh, will lead them to, to the type of convergence that I think will be necessary. Um, the, the other thing that, again, the, the, fi the financial factor is always great incentive for uh, serious thinking. And as I said, as, as the ridership in public transportation systems has fallen, as driving uh, patterns have changed, and I think they will uh, change again as corporations are rethinking uh, how employees should be coming to the office. In other words, this, this, the so-called work from home uh, uh, effort. Um, I think that will uh, require uh, cities to think about how they use their transportation infrastructure, how they charge for it, uh, and how they, uh, they reconfigure it. We have another question also from Arsalan Khan on Twitter. 
very interesting one who says, what is the role of the state and federal governments in having a sandbox and the budgets for cities to start experimenting with? It's a really interesting question. This varies by by geography. Um, if you look at um, in Asia and, and in Europe, uh, where we work quite a bit um, with my firm, there's a, a, a lot stronger uh, emphasis by the the central government to the, the country government to provide to support uh, transportation initiatives at the city level. Uh, in Europe, for example, uh, most uh, most cities receive over 25 percent uh, of their budget of their public transportation budget from from the the central uh, country budget. Um, here in the United States, um, we have uh, we have taken a different approach. A lot more um, decisions have been pushed down to the cities. Uh, so, from that perspective, I think the the cities will need to rely much more on their own um, on their own initiative and their own effort. I think there is a as we talk about the introduction the, the introduction of various technologies particularly those autonomous uh, systems that uh, that we're advocating uh, as well as the um, the issues that relate to the the data because these are uh, data heavy systems right i mean the i, I wrote my previous book uh, it's called the, the big data opportunity in our driverless future uh, I talk a lot about the, the role of data in, in driverless mobility, which includes both autonomous vehicles and mobility services. And in this book, I, I also uh, present data as an extremely important component, both as a value creator, but also as, a, as an important component for making all these things work. So both because of the autonomous systems and because of the data issues, I think the, the uh, federal, state and federal government will need to become much more involved because it, it deals with issues that uh, go beyond just transportation. This issue of uh, data, the role of data, is obviously crucially important. So tell us about that. There are really different uh, types of data that can be utilized here. Uh, there is the data that is coming uh, from the vehicle uh, itself, uh, that the so-called telematics data. Uh, there's data that is coming from the, uh, rides and the transportation that is being provided through this vehicle. Uh, there's data that is uh, created by the passengers or the item being transported. And, and finally, there may be data that's generated by the various content, digital content providers which play a huge role in making all this work uh, seamlessly, uh, be it uh, the, the weather uh, uh, data, be it uh, traffic data. So uh, each of these types of data have different owners. And, and I think today um, we are, um, we're seeing a, a, a very uh, big effort for the, these large constituencies to, to claim uh, that they, they own uh, big chunks of this, of this data. But we need to recognize the four different uh, owners of data. So the, as I said, uh, automakers, mobility services companies, cities, and, and consumers, right? Because again, transportation infrastructure also creates a lot of data, which is extremely useful. 
So uh, going forward, we need to, to recognize the, who is the rightful owner of that, of that data and what permissions each of these constituencies will provide to the overall system in order to have certain conveniences that can be provided by the system. I mean, in a, in a, in a certain way, it is very similar conversation that we've had over the past 15, 20 years about internet data. And it has taken us a while to both understand the, the value of that, of that data and how to protect consumers uh, and how to capitalize on that data, how corporations can capitalize on that data uh, in order to provide value to, to consumers. I think a similar conversation will need to take place with regards to the mobility-related data. And uh, my hope is because of the experience and the lessons that we've learned through our internet journey, uh, we will not have to spend the next 20 years uh, trying to uh, analyze and, and discuss who owns what and who has rights to what and how to protect it, but we will be able to converge to certain decisions a lot faster. What about the platform aspect of this? Because if you're generating data from all of these different sources at this kind of volume that you've been describing, it needs to be aggregated someplace. We've actually funded a couple of startups that have been looking at both the uh, either the data management side, uh, the uh, or the kind of aggregation and orchestration side, as well as the analysis uh, side of this. And, and I should say, uh, what adds complexity to all this is that we're not going to have a, a single platform that will where all of this data will be aggregated. In, in fact, we'll have to content with federated environments, cloud-based federated environments. Um, but um, it will require us to, to think about um, data in, in even newer ways than we have be, uh, to date. Um, and I would say newer ways because um, to, to date, uh, dealing with internet-based generated data um, has created challenges that few companies have been able to uh, address. Uh, companies like Google, like Facebook, like Apple, and maybe Microsoft and maybe a few others. Um, similar thing, uh, plus plus, uh, will have to uh, take place on the mobility side. I mean, if you think about, again, as we started this conversation, we were talking about autonomous systems. If you look at... Um, a, an autonomous robotaxi uh, in at, at scale and not during testing, but during deployment, we were expecting such systems, to, such vehicles to be generating probably about one to three terabytes of data per day. So if you assume that you have a fleet of, let's say, 100,000 of these vehicles in, in various cities, let's say you're, some, you're Waymo and, and you have 100,000 um, vehicles running in a variety of, of cities and you want to start aggregating that data, uh, we're, we're talking about thousands of petabytes per day that um, will need to be uh, processed and a subset of that will need to be analyzed so that you can be making the decisions that you need to be making, whether it is decisions about how your vehicles operate properly or decisions about how your customers are serviced properly. 
what about the business model dimensions of this? How does this change? Or what are the types of companies that will emerge? And who are going to be the losers as business models evolve to reflect these realities? I spent a lot of time in the in the book talking about both the, the value chains that will be created out of these uh, new mobility models, as well as the business models that will need to be used across these value chains uh, in order to monetize them. Um, and to date, if you, if you look at a mobility, whether it is in terms of uh, buying a vehicle or, or getting a ride, uh, the, the, the primary model that we have used has been transactional, right? I, I buy a vehicle, maybe I, I pay it in installments or I lease a vehicle, but I'm making a long-term commitment towards, towards, that, uh, towards that item. And I, um, I, so it's, it's one transaction that may last over, over time. Uh, similarly, when I, um, I rent a scooter or when I call for a, for a ride-hailing ride, I execute a transaction. And these models um, have, uh, have worked uh, in more or less uh, to date, but uh, particularly when it comes to mobility services, they have, uh, they have not shown to be particularly profitable because customer acquisition, again, very much like what we've learned with software, customer acquisition is very expensive. Uh, customer retention is not very high customer loyalty, in other words, and, and reactivating customer can also become quite expensive. So we need to start thinking, first of all, about different models. Subscription is a very good uh, example. Um, but as I say in the book, I, I think we also need to have the um, uh, imagination and maybe even fortitude to start combining different models. So for example, combining a, trans a subscription model with an advertising-based model or, or a, a loyalty-based model with, uh, with, some, with a transactional component. So um, the, we need to learn from, from other industries or the, 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 the mobility industry, the new mobility industry will need to learn from uh, other industries. Now, who are winners and losers? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a very good question. I think that companies with um, uh, startup roots uh, have a high, such as the mobility services companies are, have a higher probability of success, not for any other reason, but because startups are all about business model experimentation. And I think that those companies, whether it is companies as large as Uber and Didi, or whether there are smaller uh, competitors, uh, they will be able to iterate, to test and iterate through uh, business models a lot faster and, and find the ones uh, that uh, work for them uh, uh, best. Um, the uh, automakers and in general, larger uh, corporations that have established and scaled business models, uh, I think will have a harder time uh, testing that. I mean, to me, uh, some early examples of that difficulty is um, what has happened with uh, the mobility services such as Maven or Chariot that GM and Ford offered respectively. In, in both of those uh, cases, uh, they had to, to retrench. Uh, in the case of Chariot, obviously, Ford closed it down. In the case of Maven, uh, GM retrenched uh, significantly from the initial goal. Daimler 
with its uh, now um, mobility service also uh, has significantly curtailed the deployment of uh, an expansion of, the, of that of that service. Again, to me, these are indications that that these companies have a harder time uh, working around these newer models uh, than um, than sta- than, than uh, their competitors that have more startup uh, roots. We have a couple of questions from Twitter relating to data privacy because of the amount of data that's being aggregated, whether it's technical data coming from cars and telemetry data, as well as tracking data and the the risks associated with bringing together that kind of very personal data, where will that be an inhibitor? And to what extent can we think that companies will respect personal privacy? And will it be any different from the way things are today? I think the experiences that we've had with internet-related data, browsing data, um, will provide some guidance on how to uh, proceed here. Um, the, the the truth of the matter is that uh, as it happens with the internet, we are exchanging privacy for convenience. And here again, uh, uh, the public will need to uh, decide whether uh, how to uh, how to deal with that with the privacy uh, and and the and the convenience. I think that the uh, cities in particular will have to impose certain uh, restrictions on what is being tracked and how it is being tracked. And I, I think even with the um, uh, the conversation that you have today and the, the maybe that have evolved into lawsuits uh, with uh, with the city of Los Angeles, you're seeing some of that tension between mobility services companies and cities in terms of what data is shared and how that data is used. But um, for, for me, this is why I talked about the four different constituencies that have data rights. I think those need to be involved in this in this conversation, and uh, they will need to be, uh, we'll need to, to create those guidelines and the roadmap of, of how the data will be used. But again, there's no question that you're giving up certain privacy if you want to have the convenience of, uh, of certain types of transportation. In effect, it's hard to see that this is any different from what has come before internet data, as you described. It's not different uh, in my mind. Uh, it's it's only bigger, and um, you know, in the with the case of the internet, uh, it, it it deals with your transportation within the web, and in the case of what we're talking about, it deals with your physical uh, transportation, right? What you do on a on a daily on a daily basis. Um, but uh, from from my perspective, uh, it is it is no it is no different uh, than than that. I mean, again, in in both cases, you're dealing with certain um, privacy issues and uh, certain breadcrumbs that you leave behind. The traditional automakers, what happens to them in this scenario? Automakers have some very tough choices to make going forward. Um, and as I say uh, in the book, uh, perhaps they are the, um, the group of the constituency that will have the hardest time uh, 
uh, undertaking and executing the transformations that I uh, prescribe. Um, they, like every other large corporation uh, that has a scaled business model, they will have to determine uh, whether to abandon or to lessen their reliance on that model and adopt something else and what that something else is going to be. So in the book, I talk about automakers going forward being organized into four different categories, depending on uh, how, what type of transformation they want to undertake and how far uh, they take it. Uh, I think that uh, automakers that decide not to embrace new mobility, um, they will uh, they, they run the risk of A, being consolidated. Uh, we're already seeing certain consolidations uh, in the auto industry here in, in Europe, uh, here, here in the United States and, and in Europe. Um, I think you will also see uh, the closing down of the number of models that they, that they offer, a shrinking of the number of models that they offer. And um, also you will see them uh, determining uh, who they compete with. So I, I imagine that in certain cases, they may be competing with their um, suppliers who, who have manufacturing capabilities. So you have companies like Magna, for example, that is able to produce complete cars now, uh, very much like a Foxconn. And even Foxconn can come into the, into the play. What advice would you offer to cities? You, you started talking about that a little bit earlier. My advice to cities is that they should really um, embrace this transformation uh, because it will make their, uh, it, it, will, it will allow them to provide uh, better services to their citizens. It will allow them to address many of their long-term uh, problems as well as generate new forms uh, of revenue. Um, in, in the process of doing that, they need to think themselves about how to instrument their infrastructure, uh, what type of uh, instrumentation will be necessary if they're going to provide uh, these, um, uh, these services, and what will be the best forms to collaborate uh, with, uh, uh, with both automakers and mobility services companies. And they need to become... Um, far more uh, confident in themselves, in that they they will to to become to to become the the next generation in a sense coordinators and even air traffic controllers of this trans transportation. Because again, it's not only about movement of people, but it's also about movement of goods. And as we as we are changing our our preferences on on where we work for from and how we work and how we live, um, the, the, the and relying a lot more on e-commerce, the, the movement of goods will continue to become a very important part of, uh, the, um, of the overall transportation puzzle. Uh, today, over 30% of the trips that we take are to do shopping. And uh, more and more, uh, this will have to lessen if we're going to address some of these issues. How should cities think about paying for this? Cities will need to start uh, understanding business models themselves, and they will need to understand how to best leverage their 
infrastructures. And, and their infrastructure is not only the road, it is the sidewalk, it is the curb, which plays a, a very important role. Um, and uh, what, you will, what you will see going forward is whether it is for bike lanes and scooter lanes or, or vehicle lanes, um, you will see cities uh, able to, to monetize those, those infrastructures according to usage and according to demand. And in order to do that, of course, they will require to, well, as I said, instrument them, but also have the platforms to, to manage the data that the instrumentation uh, provides. But more importantly, technology aside, they will need to start understanding that this is what can give them a, a, a very bright future. And of course, you know, certain cities have started already realizing that you see it in Singapore, you're starting to, to see it in certain cities in Europe, like London. Uh, there is, you know, New York is here in the United States has already uh, started moving in that uh, in that direction. Um, so, so again, I'm I'm encouraged by by what I'm seeing, uh, and I hope that there is going to be uh, accelerating momentum uh, by the cities in uh, in doing that. Evangelos Simudis, thank you very much for taking time to talk with us today about a very interesting vision of the future, one that's in one way or another is very most likely to show up sooner or later. My pleasure. Everybody, thank you for watching, especially to those folks who contributed comments. Check out CXOTalk.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and we will see you again next time. Thanks a lot, everybody, and I hope you have a great day. Bye-bye. <laughs>